Great stuff. So we're going to, um, we've got some time now to have a bit of Q&A and, and conversation in here. Um, I, uh, I asked a minute ago on Twitter for any questions. Um, d -d -d Bill Thompson has leapt in immediately, funnily enough. Where are you, Bill? <laughs> Why don't you say your question out loud? <laughs> Um, f first of all, just to in, ter in terms of getting, uh, yeah, I will, I will ask this. Uh, just to let you know, first of all, um, in order to contribute, if you could put your hand up and wait for the mic and introduce yourself, because and that the reason for that is that we are recording all of the proceedings that are going through the sound desk, uh, and that will be published as a podcast. So if you want your dulcet tones to be heard all over the internet, then you need to wait for the mic. Um, and also, of course, everybody else here. But what Bill asked was, aren't we indulging in particularism in treating the cloud as a major change when the network is the real change agent? Anyone want to pick that one up, Charlie? That well, um, no, I, 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 I take your point, and there are people who argue that the cloud is a kind of network-centric logic. Um, I think there's a, there's a difference which we, uh, and it may be evolutionary, but it's still a difference between this kind of image of a network of separate things where there's some degree of control over what is in those things, our computers, and something that we're kind of contributing to, which is hovering above us, which is really contro a controlled space provided by someone else into which we're dropping things and pulling them out. And that's a different way of understanding our relationship with that information and the other people who might share that space, which is different from a sort of peer-to-peer -peer network kind of thing. Um, now, the practical impact of that may not be as great or be the same, but if you imagine these clouds, they're, they're um, being trawled by algorithms and they're being stored by people and uh, they're being communicated with by machines that are not with QWERTY keyboards and people operating them. I think that eventually gets you into a different sort of space. And I think it's very different from thinking of all this as an information superhighway, for instance, to name another metaphor, or cyberspace, a kind of open kind of space metaphor. It's a different way of thinking about it. And I think it, you know, for me, it's kind of, you know, if you want to kind of, it's Apple, you know, that's one version of it, which is, you know, you get these beautiful devices, but you get the Apple Cloud, and the Apple Cloud is a great thing, but it also, it's like, that's the cloud, and how can you move out of it? So it raises different issues, I think, for me. So network isn't enough, I don't think. Thank you. I, I'm, I want to give a voice to somebody who doesn't have a device in their hand. Uh, <laughs> Will. <laughs> yeah. Here's the mic. Uh, William Owens from Made by Many. Um, yeah, I think that that Charles picked up the fundamental difference, which is that the net is a network of information and the cloud is a set of tools that we can use to manipulate information together collectively. And that brings us straight to the point that um, Echo raised, which is that we no longer own these things ourselves. They're no longer creatures of, of one person, but they're manipulated by many. And that raises the first big problem, which I think many people will feel, which is, which is one of ownership, and that's the one that we're seeing. And, and that's quite a fundamental loss in lots of ways of everything we hold dear about ourselves and our personality. So the cloud also raises lots of questions about the self and who we are. Uh, 
give up a lot in order to receive a lot in that way. So I think it's going to be really difficult for us to deal with, you know, on all sorts of levels. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, Peter York, um, that was all lovely, but, <laughs> but. Um, uh, what I wanted to hear from Charlie w was more to make my flesh crawl. Hmm. And so maybe if, if I ask you especially, you can do it, because you said cloud capitalists are organizing the landscape of the future, and cloud capitalists are obviously like really bad men. And uh, in fact, they're like breadheads, hmm. or you know, uh, you know, a lovely comparison like that. Make our flesh crawl. Tell us how they're organizing the cloudscape of the future. Please do. Oh, well, I mean, I'm going to contradict myself here because actually, um, make, your, make your flesh crawl. Uh, there are people here from Google who can answer for Google, but. Um, I think the kind of degree of information control that Google has, for instance, about what we search for and what, as a result, it might advertise to us, raises troubling questions about how that might be used, for instance, by governments who we don't trust. Um, so, um, or, um, you know, the whole kind of Facebook ownership of lots of our personal data and links I find it very difficult to imagine how you're going to get out of Facebook if you're in Facebook, because to extract yourself, you then have to extract all the links to all the other people that you're linked with. And if that is a really important social utility, then you're going to find yourself very ensnared by that. And I can't, you know, Facebook, people tell me who work there, Facebook is run by people who believe in sharing, and they've got fantastic... But what happens in five or ten years' time when Facebook is owned by other people? who don't have those kind of beliefs and actually are then much more nakedly kind of interested. So the basic issue is this. No one is making any money out of this stuff. So they're being provided by huge server farms. I mean, Google is, Apple is, but lots of other people aren't. Um, and so eventually there's got to be some economic kind of recalibration. People will have to start making money out of the cloud. And to do that, they'll have to control it. And to do that, they'll have to control us. And the irony is, this is a point made by several people, but really well made by James Boyle in the public domain, is that the more that your information, any piece of your information, becomes linked to any other piece of information, to control one piece of information, you have to control all the links. So actually, the irony is that it could license surveillance and kind of interference with us on a level that we haven't conceived of. Because it used to be that you could censor and control things at some point distant from the consumer. Now you'd have to control it in a much more per pervasive way. So that is the kind of scary version of it. Paul, you got any other ways to make Peter's flesh crawl? Um, yes, I think probably. I, I, I mean, let me just respond to the thought beforehand about the cloud being a set of tools, because I don't think it's a set of tools, actually. I think it's something much more... Uh, cultural, much more social than that. It's a sort of superstructure, to use, again, an old-fashioned set of terms, that's partly emerged and partly been built on the base of the network. Um, uh, and I think, and I'm, I think the land grab stuff is, is worrying. 
uh, for sure. And there are all, there's all sorts of power that's springing up. It, it's very much like the building of the railroads, actually. There's all sorts of uh, public goods which are both being constructed and being enclosed. Um, uh, it's a period of enormous invention and, 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 and investment and energy, uh, and it's structuring our future in ways that I don't think we understand. I'm as worried about what happens in this field, um, because I mean, something Echo said about you know, the, the, the relationship between clouds and factoids <laughs> is really interesting, and it immediately made me think of um, the very deliberate campaign which is being waged at the moment uh, and was, be was begun about a month before Copenhagen mm. around climate science. Um, because actually, I think, you know, as a practitioner of this kind of stuff, I can see other people practicing in this field um, in much more unscrupulous ways, I promise you. Um, and as they come to understand, you know, people who have always played the media and politics and various other fields, um, as those interests come to understand this environment and game it, um, I don't think we've quite understood how to inoculate society against the gaming of clouds with factoids. Um, uh, and I think that's very, very interesting and challenging. And it, it, it even extends to, uh, I think, again, Echo was saying, this question of who are you in the cloud? Uh, to what extent is your identity suddenly outside yourself? Which I think is, is, is true of celebrities, but it's, it's also true of pretty much anyone. Um, and it, it's taking us you know, to a space which is almost beyond modernity and the modern understanding of identity. Um, although at the same time, it made me think immediately of ancient Greece. It made me think of uh, somebody like Alcibiades, who I can't remember what he was accused of, having sex with statues or something. And he sort of accepted it. it was that, that was the public perception of him. And, uh, and he got thrown out, and then he got brought back in. But I think, in, in a way, the silver lining of this, the way in which um, you know, we're thrown outside of our identities, uh, is that it might help people to start to understand the importance of society again. Um, the inevitability, in a way, of society. Thank you. Steve Lawson. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in the... the there's, there's, there's sort of two directions to this. There's, there's the, the, um, the stuff I contribute to the cloud and, and the questions of, of ownership and mashability and all those kind of things, of, of the things I, I, I put into it. But there's also the, the moment to moment the cloud is, in terms of my relationship with it, is about potential. And that that potential is, is controlled and mitigated by uh, network service providers, whether that's mobile network service providers or people providing Wi-Fi. And that, that at the moment, it seems like there is an enormous uh, a credibility gulf between the potential for uh, what can go on within the cloud and the infrastructure for me connecting to it in a consistent and critical way so that actually I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm fascinated by a the amount of power that that a shift towards a greater degree of critical information and 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 cultural artifact existing within that um, that the power that that hands to those who control our connection to it um, that but also that, that the way that that changes our uh, relationship with with uh, sort of critical hierarchies of data. And uh, at the moment, we're working with a kind of technical taxonomy to describe that set of relationships rather than a practical vernacular that allows us to kind of talk about what we actually do in relation to it and how that affects us connecting with it on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. Because um, that disconnection could end up being crippling if, if, if you know, that at some point that falls apart and, and we've thrown our lot in with, with 
uh, you know, uh, d for example, devices that have minimal memory but, but are, all, are always designed to be constantly in connection, that, that connection falls down and suddenly we have nothing. I'm, I'm concerned by that. I'm interested in, in, in your thoughts on that. Anybody? Want to jump in? Uh, no? Well, I, I think that, yeah, no, that is one of who controls that connection, what you get down it, do they decide when you give a hint that you might be interested in a pizza that they've got the perfect pizza delivery company, it's called Apple Pizza, um, <coughs> or, or whatever. Those kinds of issues become, I think, very important. I mean, I suppose, I mean, what I'm just trying to do in this, and in, in trying to kind of introduce or make more of this metaphor of the cloud is, to m is, is a sort of warning against fighting the last war, really. And the last war might be social media and all Web 2.0. And actually, the important stuff might be all this cloud stuff that people are organizing and creating, which is full of potential, but also these things that we'll find ourselves there and suddenly we won't even have noticed that it's been created, that that's the world that we occupy. Um, and I, I mean, Peter encourages me to kind of try and make his flesh creep. But um, it, the truth is that I think these are all quite ambivalent and difficult questions. I mean, the question of you know, the, the Google Book settlement is a really complicated question, it seems to me, about whether this is good, bad, on what terms. And so the question of identity, I mean, actually Paul's comment about ancient Athens I think is probably quite right in a way, that rather than experiencing it as a loss, as William said, you lose your identity. In a sense, it's a sort of different identity that you're maybe gaining, um, but certainly exists out there, and you can sort of see as a different reflection on you, but it doesn't mean you lose your identity necessarily. But, but, but I'm struck just, I mean, yeah. Sarkozy responded to the Google Book Settlement by announcing a huge digitization program for French culture, saying French culture must not be allowed to leave, as if Google making it more available to other people meant that it had left France. So the fact that your identity or whatever you believe in might be available to other people doesn't mean it's left you, it just means it's available in other ways. Okay. Paul, and then, sorry. And then no, no, go ahead, I'll Jeremy. jump in afterwards. Um, partly it's because we are uh, we haven't yet come to a place where we can take a particularly sophisticated view on what the effects of all this are because we're still living in an early phase of something like all. So at the moment, every social networking uh, site, we think about Facebook or whatever, we accept either neutrally or potentially positively. And at some point into the future, some of these things will be seen as evil places, some of them as good places. But we're not quite at that place yet. We are choosing to suspend our disbelief. So equally, back, you know, back to this thing about um, our public persona online, you can take a sort of relaxed view about it, unless you happen to be John Terry or someone who's, you know, who's, um, who's uh, online or print persona is now probably completely different to how he thinks about himself individually. It's a problem of his own making to some extent. Um, but it just in some ways or other, we'll all find ourselves in a situation where um, we don't own who says what about us. <coughs> and we can be relaxed about it, probably depending on what the other version of ourselves or the other versions of ourselves come to look like. And the interesting thing here is that I think you were gesturing to something to do with that when you talk about kind of online people who, who've learned how to do some of the things you already learned to do and use them for evil. Um, 
you know, at the moment, there's a sort of interesting interface between uh, new media and old media. So old media tends to report new media, sometimes with scepticism, sometimes with, scar with sarcasm, but actually as a very useful source of content or gossip or rumour or other things. And in part, I think there's a generational thing going on where actually we haven't yet got to a place where everyone's speaking the same language, where everyone is interrogating information with the same level of acuteness. So you have this kind of uh, disparity that's taking place right now where some things uh, are taken as fact and sometimes by other people. Those same, those same layers of information are taken simply as rumour or as jokes. It's a very strange situation at the moment. Quickly, Catherine. Just very quickly on this notion of... Um, of a sort of hyper-awareness of ourselves that, that some of these developments create. And I think that to that, to that hyper-awareness, because sometimes things won't go away, won't disappear, because you're partly defined by others who, who on top of everything, you've, you've, you, know, you haven't necessarily invited in um, quite, quite explicitly. There's two things that are interesting in this. One is that you need to, de you need to develop a hyper-unawareness Mm. Uh, because otherwise functioning in, in the world becomes all the more difficult. Uh, and I think that you know, this is often one of the paradoxes that, that, that strikes us, is that you know, pe some people seem to be supremely unaware of, of who they are in, in, uh, in cyberspace. And in fact, it's very important to some extent that they remain unaware. Um, otherwise, it might, it might become very, very difficult. But I think that the other point I just wanted to pick up on was this notion that this hyper-awareness of ourselves is in part created by a collective gaze. It's in part creating that renewed awareness of the collective, that renewed awareness um, of, of society, which I think is, is really hyper-important um, in hyper-individualistic times, as we like to call them, um, partly because it, it makes us aware of new communities, um, new forms of, of belonging and, and, new, uh, and, and new forms of network, but also because it goes some of the way toward answering what, for me, is the basic question about all this, which is, does it make, does all this make our world more knowable? Do we, do we, in terms of this information that is coming to us, in terms of what we know about others, do we feel that we know the world better? Does it help us to make more sense of where we fit, of what our place might be in the world, or actually does it do the opposite of that? And my sense is that it does, it does both, and what we need to be, uh, become better at is determining when it creates a certain kind of knowledge about our place in the world, and when in fact it goes against that and makes us feel terribly insecure about our place in the world. Okay, I w I'm gonna have two, two quick contributions uh, from people, and then we're going to move to a more democratic form <laughs> of conversation uh, because I know there's lots of smart people out there who want to talk and talk and talk and not just listen to the very smart people who have managed to get up on stage. So, Sue, Hi. first of all. Hello. Hello. Oh, yeah. somebody Hi. else has got the mic. Hi, my name is Lee Provost from Headshift. Um, there is always a lot of criticism on, uh, critique on cloud capitalism and uh, commercial cloud, but I some, somehow have the feeling that the cloud capitalism has done far more towards preserving heritage and culture than probably most governments on the planet. And because if you think about, for instance, the, the Google uh, Books project, um, 
let's say that one day they have just indexed most of the books in this world and they charge people uh, like, let's say I want to access that and they say, okay, you have to pay us 25 pounds per year if you want to access it. So then you can also probably say that the 25 pounds per year I would pay will be far less than all the um, tax money we would invest in building our own version of the Google Books project like the French government would do. So, yes, yeah, so some, I'm still not completely convinced about the, the, the whole critique on okay. um, commercial companies that drive this cool. trend. Yeah. Thank you. Sue, go ahead. Yeah, Sue, uh, Sue Mathias. Sorry, this is just a, a throwing in at the last minute, but a slightly different question, and maybe one for Catherine, or perhaps one for Paul. Uh, so where does all this leave all those people around the world who actually have no, either no or very little access at all to the web, to the cloud, and probably over the next 10 years may, you know, that, that position may not change massively for them. Uh, a lot of them are very poor, and a lot of them do not live in the north or the west. And I wonder just exactly how democratic this really is. I just wondered if that was something that, that uh, we should be thinking about. Yeah. Why not, why, not, why not something from each of you to, to finish off? Uh, ju just on that one, um, I mean, it's, it's true that uh, uh, it's a serious minority of people in the world still uh, uh, who, who have access to the internet as it's commonly understood. But the way in which mobile phones are evolving right now, we're just shifting from one order to another mobile phones and you now have all these mobile phones which have clouds on them you know whether it's Google or Facebook or you know and many of those are actually you know precisely you know more captured forms of the internet that you would get on on, on an ordinary um, uh, internet terminal so I, I think it's uh, it, it, actually that transition and we are going to be in a world where you know there are five million six million six, five billion six billion mobile phones quite soon um, uh, that, that is going to actually extend the, the influence of these things um, uh, tremendously over the next five, ten years. Um, uh, I, I think, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't actually say that commercial clouds are necessarily a bad thing. I was trying to say that, actually. But, that, um, you know, but they're power. Um, and, you know, they, they are a public good. Uh, and therefore, uh, they need to be held accountable. That's that, that's all. It may well be that they could do it much more efficiently, much more effectively, and and, and uh, more uh, greater value uh, than Sarkozy can. Um, then great, but we'll we'll hold them accountable. Okay. Um, I think I think your point is a very good one. You know, the the the, the truth is. You know, forever, really, we've always been presented with new technologies that are supposed to change the world and that are dramatically, in, in relation to the developing world, supposed to change the fortunes of the developing world. You know, I remember when I was a kid and you'd be sitting in a science class and there'd be a film on and there'd be some new strain of rice or something that was supposed to end poverty and world hunger. Do you know, all in one go. Um, cloud computing won't change that. That's just the very truth of it. The poor will still be with us. There'll be new forms of technology like phones that um, enable more information, but in and of themselves, they won't change things. Um, what I hope, I, I suppose, is that um, 
all of this introduces more opportunity for situations like we saw in Iran, where actually, genuinely, you got this moment when, um, uh, over the course of the last year, people began begin to tweet after the last elections, and you know it doesn't make it doesn't overturn uh, the government in Iran, but it brings new attention to that situation, and it makes voices that hadn't hitherto that weren't able to be heard be heard and that I think is the is the shift we're not going to see a dramatic overturning of the economic or, or situation that we, we find ourselves in but hopefully what we'll be able to hear in some ways in some small way sometimes are the voices of some of those people who find themselves in that situation and hopefully we'll be in a situation where it won't be so easy for us on a moral level or on a social level to ignore those and just go about our own lives hopefully we can be better informed by being able to hear some of those other things that are being said. Thank you. Catherine promises, promises me a very small yeah, point. No, ju uh, just an added point on this notion of access. I mean, I think this is something that, you know, because we, we work all over the world, including in communities um, where access is very far uh, from a given, I think that one of the things that we're particularly interested in is, is a recommendation and work toward um, developing local uh, local solutions, develop, uh, developing and supporting networks um, that are essentially locally embedded for local solutions to emerge. And, and I would say that this is, first of all, um, this is long work, it's slow work, um, and it's also not, to begin with, terribly lucrative work, which is precisely why um, it's particularly well carried out by, by organizations that don't necessarily immediately uh, you know, aren't, aren't uh, immediately interested in, in, in profit, financial or, or otherwise. And then often, then it gets picked up um, by others who can scale up perhaps better. But I think that that local knowledge and that local support is something that is precisely where, um, you know, non-corporate non actors can, can possibly make a real difference. Charlie, you stand between these people and drink and nibbles. Oh, mm. do I? Yeah. Should I not say anything? Then? I'll just, <laughs> just say something quick. quick uh, well, just quickly, uh, I'm not saying that cloud capitalists are necessarily bad. I'm, I'm saying that they are um, the power that needs to be both held to account but also encouraged to invest the dividend of their profit either in social enterprise or in creative connection uh, and um, creative culture. But I'm also just very, very interested that we have um, thought so much about what happens to individuality and the cloud. Um, and it would be completely ridiculous, it seems to me, to think that we were ever in a situation where we owned our own identity or our own individuality or that that was under our control. <laughs> and in a way, um, you know, what this is doing is, I think, part of a story about a much more conditioned notion of individuality and freedom, which is we are essentially made by our relationships. We're not made out of our own self-willed activity. We're made by relationships and connections. And it is then the story of an essential connectedness, which is really at the root of what is so powerful about this stuff. And so it is about a sort of the re-emergence of a sort of connected sense of self. That is really powerful and very, very important and should not in any way, it seems to me, be seen as a loss. Rather, rather a sort of possibility and a triumph that you put behind yourself a sort of completely outmoded, atomistic, individualistic sense of what identity is, oh, which is a myth. Oh, 
<laughs> right, thank you very much. Um, round of applause, first of all, for Echo Eschen, Paul Hilda, <laughs> Catherine Fieschi, and Charlie Ledbeater. Thank you very much indeed.